Welcome, Rochester, to our 15th episode of our Let's Get Lit podcast. You have Cleonda Florence. Naima Atkins. And we are back in the building. It has been a minute since last year, November. And I'm so excited. I know Naima's excited, excited because we got the doctor in the building. <laughs> and I don't think y'all ready for what we're going to talk about today about let's get lit, the things we carry. So I'm going to pass it over to Naima, and she's about to bless us with the doctor. So on mic in the studio, we have Dr. Tiana Velasquez-Smith. Is it Tiana or Tiana? Tiana. Tiana velasquez Smith. Pardon me. Excuse me. <laughs> She is the director of <laughs> early childhood at the Rochester Area Community Foundation. In this role, she spearheads initiatives to enhance early learning and development across the Rochester area. She earned her Ph.D. in teaching and curriculum from the University of Rochester, where her research focused on black girls' literacy practices in predominantly white schools. Currently, Dr. Velasquez-Smith serves as an adjunct professor at the University of Rochester, imparting her expertise in early childhood education to future educators through courses, through courses that focus on literacy acquisition, <clears throat> classroom equity, the any issues of race, class, gender, and disability in American schools. Additionally, Dr. Velasquez-Smith is the CEO and founder of Sensational Inclusion, an organization dedicated to create, creating inclusive, sensory-rich educational environments. She is committed to empowering educators and caregivers and celebrating the unique abilities of each child by offering high-quality tutoring, professional development, curriculum development, and educational consulting services. Let's give it up for the doctor herself in the building. What's up, sis? Ew. <laughs> hello, hello. Welcome to Let's Get Lit. So... For those who are just listening for the first time, LIT stands for Liberating Individuals Through Literary Text. And we are going to begin our interview the same way we do it. When did you fall in love with literacy? When did I fall in love with literacy? What a great way to start this conversation off. I'll give you a little back, a little bit of background story, and then it'll help to tell the evolution of how I fell in love with literacy myself. So... I, as you've all learned and listened to, my research is centered around black girl literacy practices in predominantly white schools. I didn't come to that research on accident. Um, the truth of that is I was a black girl in a predominantly white school that didn't cultivate literacy learning for myself. <clears throat> Excuse me. So really growing up, I taught myself how to read. I had a kindergarten teacher who I, I failed kindergarten for, 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 for reasons that he deemed that I was not, I was not a reader, right? Um, and then I get to second grade and I have a teacher who tell me, tells me that she can't teach me and had told my mother she can't teach me because I'm a black girl and she, she's never had a black student in her classroom. So that really left me up to my own defenses to figure out how to read and have access into the world around me through literacy, through literary worlds and literary, literary texts. I ultimately taught myself how to read. I first started counting to 30 and turning the page and pretending, feigning um, this role that I could read. And I did that for several years. And eventually I started picking up the alphabetic code. What, what does the letter A say? How, do, how does this word create other words? And eventually, I taught myself how to read. 
My mom, she used to take us to the public library a lot. My grandmother, she's a self-published author and has written many books herself. And so I was wrapped and nurtured around books and seeing literacy practices around me, but I didn't necessarily have a space to explore what that could look like for me. So with all of that background, you know, going into the classroom and trying to teach students how to read, I wanted to do it in a way that was joyful and playful and culturally responsive and sustaining. And so by doing that with young minds, that is what allowed me and has brought me to being in a space to saying that I'm a lifelong reader, a lifelong lover of words and text and meaning. And so it really started from a place of hardship and loneliness and kind of going on a journey on my own. And then in many ways, healing my own inner child by supporting and working with so many students and families in the primary grades. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just over here like I'm mad. I'm upset. The things we carry, the things I'm we mad. carry, yeah. the things we carry. Mm-hmm. And um, Naima, when, when did you fall in love with literacy? I fell in love with literacy the first time I heard KRS-One, the first time I heard Eric B. and Rakim, the first time I heard Third Base, the first time I heard Queen Latifah, the first time I heard Lauren Hill, the first time I heard anything hip-hop related and using, um, the first time I heard anything hip-hop related <laughs> and, 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 and lyricism, that's when I fell in love with literacy. And I hit it from the standpoint of seeing literacy in action, Um, seeing my grandfather and my father and my mother and my grandmother um, advocating on behalf of other people and sitting in meetings and listening to people's cry as they try to find the words to stand up for their children at district parent council meetings. And I'm sitting on the floor coloring and taking in these emotions and they don't know how to say, and it gave me a passion to see the importance of literacy going beyond what I call the binds and being able to see it as it is actuated. And one of my mentors um, once told me, if you have someone who has a tool but is void of words, they will misuse the tool because of their inability to find the words to captivate the audience that they're reaching. But this tool can be misused and it will captivate an audience in the wrong way. So that is what it what has empowered me to um, not only pour into my own children. And when I say my own children, I don't just call the ones that I birthed my children, but each and every child that I've come into contact with and parent to see the importance of literacy and motion and why it's liberating. So that's our story <laughs> and the things we carry. And uh, we want to start it this way. Um, you hit some things that Naeem and I have oftentimes run into because all of us are educators in our own right, and that has been a foundational framework. Um, how do you think the mindset of loneliness, rejection, hardship, Even abandonment, abandonment. how do you think that impacts one's ability to be lit? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Oof. Okay. When a child doesn't have access to literacy spaces or access to a space that holds enough love, care, joy, it, for that child to express themselves, whether it be through writing, whether it be through picking up a book with someone on the front cover that looks like them, you really are detached from a sense of self, a true deep sense of self. So much of our self-expression as human beings on this planet happens through 
through words, through writing, through reading, through, and that is how sense making is produced, right? Like, if if children are stripped from from the access of reading or to reading that's accessible to them, then what ways do we expect them to properly critique? The, the systems around them when we're talking about black and brown children how do we give them the space to critique the things that are ailing them every single day seeing the same things day in and day out if we're also not holding enough space for their for their genius to flourish and so I think that's what happened to me for many years I think as I think about those times where I was not in a space where I had access to an educator that sat down with me and said, hey, Tiana, like, let's break this apart. Let's break it down. Let's, let's make it consumable to you in a way that makes sense, but in a way that's also culturally responsive, but also brings on your black girlness, that also brings in your, your neurodiversity. It, it was a really sad and often dark place to be. And I, and and I think the question that you asked is the question that we should be asking ourselves every day when we go into classrooms. If I don't do what is right and well by these students, what am I not allowing them to be? Um, how am I letting their raisins shrivel up in the sun so that it, it, it doesn't prosper? So, I, gee, she really <laughs> took me out with that question. I've never been asked the question that has in the moment required me to go back into little Tiana, that version of myself that was wildly literate, right? Like, just because I'm not reading from left to right or I'm not decoding, that doesn't mean that I'm not literate to the mm-hmm. ways that you're treating me. That doesn't mean I'm not literate to the way that you're holding space for me or not. And, we, and, and that's true about our children. They, 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 are, they are literate. They can read you, they can read the world, and they can read words. The teaching of that, it looks different. It's joyful, it's playful. I think as, you, as, we, as we have this conversation, that's what keeps me in the classroom. I yeah. know that I'm being pulled in many different directions on, you know, go to higher ed or do admin. <laughs> and, you know, um, um, you know, I like the children. I like being in front of children. I think that it's important that we stay in front of children because I know for a fact that they have a place of love in my space, in all mm-hmm. spaces that I'm in with them. But it just, you know, when it comes to inflation and just like having to live, mm-hmm. What they pay teachers mm. to love on kids is not enough, Mm-mm. you know. So it is. It is a. It is a. When I. When I. When I'm. What's the theme today? What I'm carrying. What I'm carrying is a burden yeah. of like, do I stay here and and give the love that I know they deserve, mm-hmm. or do I transition out of the space to teach other adults how to be what I am to young people, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, right. And if we keep uh, it real, right? I did the same thing. I left my kindergarten classroom for many of those reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and in full transparency, I think about that often. What did I? What did I leave behind? Who did I leave behind? Whose families did I? Did, did I? Did I? I'm not able to support anymore because I'm not in the classroom. Sometimes we do things and we think that it's going to impact a, a larger group. I know that that was my rationale. Well, if I leave this classroom of thirty, then I can impact a, a community of thirty thousand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you learn that. Even in the spaces where you think the decisions are being made, really poor decisions are being made in those spaces. And so <laughs> the same reason why I left is the same side I am giving to organizations and institutions. We're still not doing right by our children by mandating a single way to teach literacy and learning. So right. I feel you on that. 
And it's it's funny that you say that, um, and not necessarily in a comical way, because so so many people think it's you know oh you you all are doing too much you know you're you're over exaggerating these experiences mm-hmm. and this is maybe a couple of people mm-hmm. and it, it it bothers me because when I was reading the book by Bell Hooks all about love yes one of the things that she talks about is going back to her bare sheath mm-hmm. you know her beginnings mm-hmm. and if we're not really aware of what was that beginning like? And how does that beginning impact my middle? Mm -hmm. And as I move from my micro, meso, macro self, Mm -hmm. and if we're not careful and how we attach love, what is love? How is that defined? And why is it necessary for me to shower you with the emotion of love, the words of love, the books, the actions, and the work Mm -hmm. of love. That's a real deep, not just something you just throw around. And when you think about that book by Tim O'Brien, The Things We Carry, Mm -hmm. these were men who were getting ready for war. And it's a shame when I think about this, that as you're talking, as you're talking, it's like we we got to get ready for war when we step into the classroom. It's like a battlefield. And it's not, it's like you got, you're preparing for what's in front of you, watching your back for what's mm-hmm. behind you, trying to worry about what's on the side of you. And this is when I think about like this science of reading, like that, <laughs> that is another thing that we're carrying right now. Mm-hmm. This identity that is being falsified under a narrative that is confusing people. And how is that going to impact our babies? Well, the dad has already told us how science of reading impacts our babies. Um, and some folks will say that the research is comprehensive. I will argue, and I'm going to die on this hill, it is not. Just because it's done in psychology, child psych, um, other interdisciplinary studies, those studies and the, the sample sizes of those studies do not include black and brown students. They do not include um, indigenous students. They do not include uh, students where they're learning English as a second language. And so to your point, Cleon, and, and, you know, we we're having a conversation about this, I, I feel more often than I think I care to at this point, because there's really nothing good about doing one thing in one singular way and saying it's good for the masses. Um, I don't I don't know how we got here. I understand the importance of phonics. I understand the importance of Governor Hoko's bill. Um, back to basics, and those things do make sense. But what doesn't make sense to me is that we're also not having a statewide, national, regional conversation about culturally sustaining practices embedded and intertwined in all of our curriculum. The first question you asked me was, what happens when children do not have access to the alphabetic code, right? Mm -hmm. I would argue that it it helps students feel incredibly lonely. For black and brown students, they already feel lonely in a system that fails to see them for who they are and what they need. And then we want to man. We want to have this general idea around phonics first. Let's teach phonics, phonics, phonics. Okay, there's no. And maybe there's someone out there that can show me how to teach phonics in a joyful, playful way that's also also culturally responsive and sustaining, or whatever your ethos is at your school. I've yet to see it. And I just, it, it is very frustrating to me because I remember when I first got my teaching handbook when I graduated from my undergrad program. And it was all phonics-based. It was all Lucy Calkins-based. And I was like, there's absolutely no way. Oh, boy. Y'all going to send me to this black school district with Lucy Calkins in hand Mm -mm. and a canvas bag and tell me that this is what students need? I can tell you right now, I've taught autistic students. I've taught ENL students. I've taught students across developmental needs. 
in science of reading, that was the quickest way for them to find an exit outside of becoming li lifelong literacy learners. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up, and I'm sure we'll touch on it a little bit more. I want to just talk about the things we carry and certain things we need to just let go of. Shout out to Lucy Caucus. <laughs> <laughs> and Fontes and Pinnell. Let her go. Oh, let it go. No Fontes and Pinnell, let them go. Please. 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 Down our throats Can we throw her? <laughs> and then just throw it away. It's like, why are we still holding on to that? Why Dro is that dropping everything and reading. And, but that's know. what, you know, to, to <laughs> dear, 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 dear. <laughs> Two, two, two folks' causes to get rid. Yes, we are now in a in a in a in a shift to say yes. Lucy, Lucy Calkins at the time, we took this. We took well. Okay, I'm not going to go into the history of it. We we took Lucy Calkins, and now we're seeing that it's no longer effective. But then somehow we were like, okay, we're going to throw all that out, and we're going to swing on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Because she's advocating for balanced literacy before that was whole language. Right. So now we're going to go right to science of reading. Without any. without any sort of Nothing. people at the table. Like, y'all act like Dr. Zaretta Hammond hasn't been outside for decades telling us this is how, this is why mm -hmm. culturally sustaining teaching, especially for literacy learning, is so important to the brain. Y'all want to talk a lot about brain-based teaching. The work in the lit literature has been in existence. It's we have the pathway. Same with the, Dr. Goldie Mohammed. She's been telling us, I, I think she defended her dissertation in the early, like 2012, 2013. Yeah. Like she's been out here for a decade telling us that this is what needs to happen and this is how we do it through identity, through joy, through criticality, um, and through skill building. I'm just taking the lead of the elder black women right. in the rap <laughs> tradition. I mean, Marvel. just her elder Septima Clark, Mara, yes. Collins. Mara Collins, Harriet Ball, who was, who was the OG brain behind the whole KIPP charter school movement, the knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we have enough black women educators who understand what it what it means to have taught in a one-room schoolhouse with multiple different um, um, ranges of literacy in one space and made it fun and made it joyful and made it something that they can, you know, Make create and have as their own. You know, I think that the more they're erased from the literacy legacy, Absolutely. and we forget that. You know, we need to go back. So I guess Sankofa go back and fetch it, and then mm -hmm. bring it forward because they yeah. they have we have groundwork, we have blueprints already. You know, codified and, and mapped out for us. We just have to remember to Absolutely. go back and fetch it. Yeah, and we don't got to go too far. Right? No, <laughs> and that that is one of the things that I I want to talk about as we carry is if we don't know the who before and all you look to is the Lucy's yep. and you yep. don't pick up a book by Marva Collins mm -hmm. who wrote and other people wrote about the amazing work she did. It was no one answer to her way. Right. And that's why when people come with this one hit wonder type of approach, the one size fit all and the damage yep. that we do for generations and then we're back to what you said, the hardship, the loneliness, mm -hmm. the abandonment. It's like a cycle. Yeah. And if we're not careful, how many generations do we have to play catch up to until liberation of the mind truly happens? And that is what we're about to get into because everybody now is hitting this science of reading like it's a buzzword mm -hmm. and everybody's going around and saying it like they're carrying it, like they, you know, their life depends on it. And as a result of it, because of who it is, the position they have, mm -hmm. the power behind their position, no one's asking any real questions. They're just going along to get along. Meanwhile, at the ranch on the ground, we have hardship, 
of not only our children, but educators who are lost because their creative genius has been erased. We have the loneliness of parents who are trying to find a way to bridge the gap that their children, and let's back up, they were traumatized by the system and Mm -hmm. they now have children. And then the abandonment of schools are not allowing parents to come in to understand what they need to do. Now you throw in the science of reading on top of that. Now you throw in all this other stuff. Where are we going to be as a community, as families, Mm -hmm. as leaders in the next five, 10 years with this type of mindset? What are your thoughts? My question is who's underwriting this? Who's funding it? Who's getting paid for this new mandate of science of reading? That's what I want to know. I want to follow some money. Mm-hmm. Do you have any answers for that? <laughs> so I don't have any answers for that. I had the I had the opportunity to, and I'm sure the three of us here have are familiar with the right to read the documentary that came out a bit ago, mm-hmm. right? Then you have the work of that journalist. I'm drawing a blank on her name. Came out, um, Candy. You got it on the top of your tip of your tongue. All right, no. you, it's gonna come to you. Well, anyways, regardless of the fact, and it might be beneficial not to say, say you know, to re- reproduce, but. I think if we were to follow the money, <laughs> and then this is just me being incredibly facetious on a Monday mm-hmm. af- evening, but when we think about people that thrive off of misinformation, yeah. when we think of people that can storm a capital, when we think about people that can flat out give fake news and, and misinformation, those p- people tend to be really, really far away from liberation. Now, if we know that literacy and liberation are synonymous to each other as it can't happen with or without one another, I'm just wondering, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I am wondering what is our attachment at preventing people from accessing literacy and literacy practices in ways that are not rooted in hegemony that are not rooted in a singular way of thinking and doing and reproducing. Now, I'm one, there, <laughs> there is no money, right, in culturally sustaining teaching. If we, were to, if we were to put a ton of money behind it, we would see that people would start thinking for themselves. They might be like, you know what, I don't really bump with that anymore. I don't really think that this, this, this standpoint that I took is the closest that, that I could be to liberation, but we don't, we don't want that. We don't want black and brown kids to be liberated. If we did, as Bell Hook said, love is, a, is an action. Mm-hmm. It is a daily commitment to doing what is right and good and true by the individual. And we don't have a system that's set up on those principles. Mm-hmm. So not only is there not money to, for, for those initiatives and for a, a national, you know what, this is how we're going to teach all communities, because let's not get confused. Culturally sustaining teaching is good for every single child. That's right. you go. Every single child can and does benefit from culturally sustaining teaching. Again, I do not speak without citing myself. Dr. Zaretta Hammond, Dr. Gloria Latson-Billings, they have mm-hmm. done this work and they have told it to us for, for decades. And so it, that might not have answered your question, where if I follow the if I follow the dollars, where would I end up? But if we if we did the reflexive and say, well, this is why, right. and this is why we're not supporting this this work or this initiative or these Black women voices. I'm a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Are you? And, and a political scientist. And okay. For me, for me, it's like the writing's on the wall. You don't you don't want to have a literate 
citizenry, you Mm-mm. know, because that'll have us questioning our constitution. It'll have us questioning our caste. You don't want to critically um, liberate. It, right, right. <laughs> you know? Critically think and maybe topple and dismantle things, you yeah. know. So that's why it, it is what it is, you know. I bet. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm gonna hit them with this. <laughs> I'm gonna just hit them with this, and and I love the book, the pedagogy of the oppressed, because you, mm. you're gonna go back to this, and I, I was about to say something, I had to catch myself. I was gonna say I shared. No. So there was a quote that said, "The oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors." Mm-hmm. And you think about what happens in classrooms, right? You have these teachers that come in, they bubbly, mm-hmm. they excited about learning, teaching, transforming. You got mm-hmm. children that come in in kindergarten, mm-hmm. first grade, excited, what we going to learn. Something happens between Lil' Jamel and them. <laughs> and then you have Katie, Michelle, and them coming in, and they're excited. They have all their tricks in their bag. But something happens within Katie the system, and, and it sucks it out. They get excited. <laughs> you know, Katie and Michelle. They're excited. They got their little shirts. They done been up DYIing. But something happens between kindergarten and third grade to where right now we're looking at where fourth graders are mentally dropping out Mm -hmm. it becomes a reality by seventh and eighth grade with their attendance it comes realized in ninth grade when them credits start hitting Mm -hmm. and if we don't begin to see everything we talked about thus far is coming around to where our children are coming in we have educators coming in excited but what are they being fed Mm -hmm. what are our children being fed we say we want to give them and get their immune system together for education, but what are we inoculating them with? Mm-hmm. That's causing them to hate reading. Mm-hmm. Like I walked in and asked, I'm like, baby, what's the last thing you read? I don't like to read. I'm like, look at your shirt. What you got on your shirt? You like to read, right? Look at what you got on your shirt. What are we doing in these spaces that causes children to articulate with their own mouths? I hate to read. But sis, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you exactly what it is because you just you just answered your own question. You 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 sat down with the child and they said, I don't like to read, but you sat down and you were like, okay, you might not like to read, but environmental print. If your shirt says Nike and you know you like Nike, then let's break apart those sounds. Bam. The word says Nike, right? But when we think about and then for the for the longitudinal point that you were making, what happens from kindergarten up until ninth grade? Now I've never taught that high. Um, that's just not my area of expertise, but I can tell you what happened in my classroom and what I've observed over the years is when your classroom is not centered around, and I'm just talking in the context of teaching black and brown students because those, that's, the, that's the only population that I've ever taught. In, 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 yes. So when you have a me come in, and I, I, know, I know how your mom talks to you. Mm-hmm. I know what play looks like to you. I know what language looks like to you. Well, guess what? I can then support you in those ways that are culturally relevant to your lived experiences, <laughs> to your home practices. I'm not Katie and I'm not Michelle being like, okay, you need to sit down and AA Apple A, right? Like, there you go. And I might do AA Apple A, but not before. I talk about a whole bunch of other stuff with you. Not before I bring in text and curriculum that looks like you, that there speaks you to you. 
that acts with you. And so then you, we have to explain the, the conversation of play. We're not having enough playful experiences. Our curriculum, Depressing. one to above, kindergarten, there's a little space for, for, for play. And if you're a teacher, that's not, yeah, but right. Y'all talking about taking out recess in schools. Okay, yeah, like, have okay. a good time. Have a yeah, good yeah, time with that. And see, with that. And see that you don't have... You ISS going yeah. the, the <laughs> right. to be turned. Like you guys are doing things that are antithetical to, to developmentally appropriate practices. Absolutely. And then you have to layer on this element of cultural nuance. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, by the time that baby gets to fifth grade, he's going to look at you dead in your face and be like, I don't like to read. Why? Because I've never seen a book that talked about nothing that I was interested in. I had a teacher giving me these sight words, these bummo sight word cards. We know that kids don't learn by sight. Full period stop. Kids do not learn sight words by sight. You gotta break it apart. You Unless gotta make it's it. Nike. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's like the one word you're gonna see on site. Like, oh, like, <laughs> and then we can meet them where we're at. Right, if right, you right. know that this is Nike, well then great. Well, let's unpack other developmental print. Mm -hmm. There you but go. But we're not gonna sit here and act like this is I'm just breathe. breathe. <laughs> yeah. Oops, you know I'm what? It, this is this is like we passionate. We we out here and we're gonna have to do a part two of this because every time the boiler start is starting to cook, <laughs> you know, it's time where you know we get the look the like the wrap up. it on. We gotta turn the fire down. <laughs> Matter of fact, turn it off. Turn the, turn the kitchen light out. Turn it turn out. Not the stove light. <laughs> the stove light too. It gotta turn off. Put the pot light no, out. we don't get the night light again. But you know the black house night light was the oh, light over the, the stove. stove. But that's a cultural literacy. It is. You don't have to tell me to turn that light off. That light is pinnacle. Stay on. You want me to crash into walls? Keep, the, keep the thieves away. Keep it out. Every house that you know that look like us. That oven light stay on. I bet you won't do top. it. <laughs> Turn it off. It's the only slap your fingernails. Well, we want to thank you um, for coming in, and we're gonna have to look at a part two because this yes, is this is a very powerful and needed conversation because we want to inform the community about why literacy is so important and liberation mm -hmm. through literacy and why it's important. Um, I want to close out. Naomi, you got anything you want to say real quick? I just want to say we missed y'all. We back and we lit. That part. <laughs> so we're going to end with Judgment by Nikki Grimes. Y'all know I like to end with a nice little poem. Here, here Caged innocence, we study the heavens for a lightning bolt of justice, a hurricane of grace towards parents whose souls sin is love of us and freedom our sin being labeled disposable souls let's, let's get, get lit, lit. Mm.